You're listening to the Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. excited to share today's interview with you. I'll be chatting with Sarah Campbell. I've been familiar with the brand for a few years as locally we have a store here in Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania, and I actually own a few of her pieces as well. However, I got to meet Sarah herself a few months ago at America's Mart, and she's a true blast. You'll be impressed with her journey and her business for sure. Enjoy! All right, so I have Sarah Campbell here with me today, and we are just going to dive in and start from the beginning. So tell me a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. So um, thank you for having me, first of all, most importantly. Uh, of course. I grew up in California. I was born and raised in La Jolla, California, Southern California. Um, I have four sisters and a brother. My dad was a doctor. My mother was a um frustrated homemaker, I guess. She, a, she really wanted to go to law school when she was in her, you know, twenties. And her father, who was a federal judge said, no, no, you, you know, you're going to be a teacher. Your brothers are going to be a lawyer. So oh. she really should have been the lawyer she wanted to be. But anyway, very, very smart woman, very liberal household. Um, and I had to find my path between being in the middle of six kids you know you don't you don't you 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 carve out your niche you carve out your survival so I read that you started sewing when you were like six years old or something which is wild to me because I had to take sewing classes in college and they are actually a lot harder it's harder to make apparel than you would think so tell me about your interest in that from a young age loved you know I think I was just born loving art um loving loving craft and so you know it's not I feel like it's even before three years old I remember being like really little and making taking glue and cutting out felt and making felt banners you know with sequins on the dining room mm-hmm. table so it was really fun to be sick because you got to do stuff like that <laughs> so you've always been creative then it sounds like I, and yeah, you've always I, had this I, interest I, I, yes and I think what comes with that maybe my my people a lot of people see me as ADD um mm-hmm. but I don't know I'm focused on what I like to focus on I guess but the the sewing I I remember learning how to knitting Jenny you know I had a easy bake oven yeah had um I learned how to make French knots when I was little I loved to embroider um and so it just was a natural evolution into the sewing machine which I still have in my office it's about eight inches big oh and my gosh. It's the one you turn by hand with the wheel you know you roll yep and that became doll clothes my sister Meg helped me learn how to make doll clothes and then that came into with butterick patterns and McCall's patterns and that moved along into by third grade I went to singer sewing school oh my gosh that's amazing and I learned how to sew and then by seventh grade I was teaching sewing lessons or ninth grade and um, at my house in the summer two two hours in the morning two hours in the afternoon and um yeah, I also learned a lot of humility because I got my best friend neighbor to take these sewing classes with me. 
Uh-huh. We had to drive about a half an hour. Wow. And, um, you know, we took turns with whose mother drove, and she lived immediately next door. Okay. And there was a big sewing co- contest fashion show at the end of the season, and she won, and I was so devastated. Oh. But what really made it even worse is there was a big, huge sign on our house that said, congratulations, Lisa, when I drove in my driveway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so sad. It was such a, such a lesson in sportsmanship. I cannot tell you how I will never forget that. Like this was my idea. How did she win? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it like gave you more passion and drive though too. God, I was like, I was so upset. But yes, (laughs) it did. It gave me tenacity or at least least that's where I found my deepest tenacity. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So what did you study then? Um, After grade school, did you go to college and what did you study? Where'd you go? All of that stuff. Um, I went, I mean, I knew I loved, you know, I I went to girls school, graduated Uh um, all girls. Then I went off to college and my parents, my, my family was sort of falling apart. My parents' marriage was falling apart. And so my sister above me went to Harvard and when it came time for my, you know, college, so this is, I'm number four now, my mother okay. and father were sort of done with college tours. And I was pretty much on my own through the, through my school to figure out my college. And I just was lost. I just, you know, I, I, I thought I wanted to go to a big school after being, you know, in a classroom of 50 women. And I went off to University of Colorado, which was huge, like 30,000 yeah. students and um, kind of focused on I, I knew I wanted to go to a, a four-year college where I wasn't just focused on design. I, I didn't see myself going to a, a FIT or a Parsons. A because okay, like an art school like that. Yeah, because I didn't okay. want to lock myself into that. I, I wanted Definitely. to have like a, a well-rounded background for mm-hmm. employment. Like the business side then too. Yeah, but I, didn't, okay. I wasn't thinking of it as business. I just didn't want to lock myself into being a designer. Because okay. I couldn't draw. I mean, I didn't have any confidence in drawing, and I still don't. But um, I can re- I can get the idea across in a scribble. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I went off and I I ended up. It was just too big, and as I said, my family was falling apart, which was devastating. And I transferred to UC Davis, where they had it was a little smaller. It was in California. I was back in California, Northern California, okay. and um. I studied, uh, I was a design major there, and I got to do architecture, interiors, costume, all aspects of design, um, wow. and not really any more, I, I, I focused more on environmental and interior design at the point because of my, this inhibition about drawing, but I also had this wearable vibe thing going with textiles and fabrics. Okay. And so I always was making things like, you know, I mean, I made my boyfriend's the most, I made a a quilted, when I found out my boyfriend, uh, you know, when I met, saw him years, years later, I go, what did you Uh do with my vest? And he goes, oh, Marta made me give it away. It was a vest out of bow ties that I quilted. Oh my goodness. It was so amazing. And then I made, I I really like that guy. I made him quilts of the Yazoo. That so I love making textile projects. You know, I got into I got into Navajo quilting, um, which is this method of quilting where you 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 sew strips and then you cut them and then you sew the strips 
you sew them horizontally, then you cut them and then you sew them vertically. Okay. The pattern. And so I got really into that and um, I loved it. I just, I loved making things like that. And that led me to wearable art, which was more one of a kind clothing. Okay. I came out of UC Davis, just freaked out of my mind. I didn't have a career path. I didn't have a job. My parents were getting divorced. I was 22 years old. The guy I thought I was going to marry and move in with dumped me. It was terrible. (laughs) And um, I moved back home to San Diego and I worked, I just, I almost came East and became a nanny just to do something, to have a job. Just to get out and do something different. Yeah. I I applied to this agency in Boston and I was just, I don't, you didn't really like kids that much, but I thought I did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love kids. I just don't like to babysit them. Um, So I came, I stayed in California and in that, this is a really pivotal moment. I took it. I took a job at an art gallery, thinking, "Okay, it's in my field." Mm-hmm. It's at this thing, this this basically like an outdoor mall garden uh, uh, bazaar of little stores that all connected, mm-hmm. and they had a door through every store. But it was called Bazaar del Mundo, so every store was a different country or you know, like Mary Mecca was Denmark. We had the Mexican store, which was. Um, all Mexican, and, and then we had Guatemala, and then we had also it was a big oh. It was very cool in San Diego. Does it exist today still, or it does but not? It was it was basically what... free land that the the state owned, and they gave it. To the woman rented the land, and then Got the, it. the thing was all historic. Oh, it was so awesome! But I worked there, and one of the one of the places, one of the stores was a gallery. And in that gallery, um, I sold Jerry Brown earrings to Linda Ronstadt for her birthday. That oh, was wow. a Friday night. Um, <laughs> <sighs> I remember that was a very exciting night. But yeah. I had, we had art openings every Friday. And one of the openings we did was um, a seri- with a serigraph artist named Corita Kent. And I okay. happened to know all about her because when I was Growing up in Catholic school and at Catholic church, she was a nun at the University of um, U.S. What is it? Immaculate Heart University. Yep. In L.A. And she made, now remember, this is the 60s. So I'm like, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And she's making these incredible serigraph prints and banners. And they hung in our church. And I was like so in you know, it was like Andy Warhol days. I mean, it was literally yeah. Campbell's soup can and it's Carita's artwork. And it was all around. We used to, we went to the university, we went to the um, church at the university of San Diego, which was, you know, the liberal little church up on the hill and they had okay. banners around it. And it was just like, I was just so wowed by her. I knew, so I, I followed her. And so I, you knew her ahead of time. I knew her art. Yep. And I knew that somewhere along the line, she moved to Boston. I followed her and I knew that she had had cancer and I knew that she left the convent because I also, she was, we also traded houses. This was way before VRBO with our best friends who had moved to the East coast and we went to the world's fair and they came to back California for a summer. Uh Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. That's like the movie, The Holiday, before yeah, yeah, exactly. Airbnb and all of that. Yeah. So we did that and um, we went to the World's Fair and 
you know, she did her stuff was at the World's Fair. And so I was like really, really curious. I mean, I was just like wowed by her. Mm -hmm. And um, then so speed up to I'm 21 years old and we're doing this art exhibit. And I told her, I said, you know, I was going to she she lived in Boston at the time. And I said, you know, I would almost move to Boston to, to do this nanny job. And she goes, oh, if you ever do, please call me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, okay. So two years later, I moved to graduate school to Boston uh-huh. to study art and do art education. Oh, wow. I knew that she was a fabulous art teacher at the, at, she ran the art department at Immaculate Heart. Okay. And when she, I moved to Boston, I went to Leslie um, School, it was a, master's in art education but it was for like special needs and and like um um what am I trying to say museums and and um nonprofits. so okay. we we got a, we really went out in the field I went out in the field to schools and I went out in the field to museums and I was assigned to do a life of an artist and I couldn't decide between Judy Chicago, who at that point was doing, you know, that big teacup project, it was that it was in Boston. Okay. Um, or Karita Kent, and I'm like, oh, like Judy, Judy Chicago was the big happening, kind of the Gloria Steinem of the time, and and, okay. and or there was Karita. So somehow I got her phone number through a gallery in Boston. Oh wow! And I was living with three guys from Harvard. We had four room town you know like the triple decker in cambridge and i i really wanted to meet people so i picked up you know it's very strategic how i moved into this house with these three guys which was the best thing i ever did because it was so fun yeah nobody borrowed any of my clothes my hair no drama no cattiness (laughs) it was like you clean the bed you clean the bathroom saturday i'll clean it next saturday yeah so i pick up the phone i call her and i said I told her what I wanted to do and interview her. And she said, well, why don't we have lunch on Thursday? And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. So we went to Harvard Bookstore Cafe. And I said at the end, if you ever need anyone to do anything for you, I will happily do it. And I sauntered off. And she said, how are you at groceries? And I said, I'm awesome. Now, I didn't have a car. So I would take the tea over to Marble Street carry her, get her groceries for her, bring them back to her house and just get to be around her. And that's what started our mentorship, best friendship. Um, And I ended up working for her. Then she ended up tutoring me through mass art. Then we ended up doing this partnership called a gallery without walls, which was a mail order catalog. And it was just a wealth of information to be around her. Plus she was an amazing human being. I mean, all of what she did was, she was a political activist through her work and uh-huh. just gave back all the time. That's amazing. And I mean, for you, it sounds like you were really proactive in reaching out to her and oh, yeah. following her along the way. Um, I, so that's, I, I wouldn't be married unless I was, you know, asked him 10 times. I mean, nothing comes my way. I have to go get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't wait. Yeah, it's true though. I, you know, it's not. You don't wait around. You make things happen. I just, if I, if I, it's what I've learned in life. I mean, if you don't take care of yourself, don't expect anybody else to. And that was really, totally. really my definition of success when I started my company when I was 25. But. So then how did you transition? Then it sounded like at first the interest was more in 
art it was to it was clothing. Oh, when oh, did Sarah Campbell, the brand, come about in clothing? Well, I did wearable art, one of a kind clothing, sold these vests and things, commission uh, and consignment and commission through art galleries. And that led into, you know what, I got a this gal this thing we're doing is working, this little catalog, mm-hmm. but I can't wait to be paid. I need to be paid on the front end, which led to wholesale. My first order was um, to Papagallo. And at that point, I decided to do like very antique-inspired nightgowns and then a little dress collection with it. And Okay, so back up. How did you get this like store then essentially how did you know was there market then at that point were you going to market and trying to get people or were you just going into stores or meeting people I took my little collection that I made in my by myself in my Mm -hmm. studio in Cambridge in my apartment um and I drove down to Newbury Street got an apart got not got an appointment and sold to Papagallo that led into, you know, I got a little rep. I mean, there's all, you just get street smart. It's like a lemonade stand. You figure out. Yeah. So you were pounding the pavement. Pounding the pavement. I was, yeah. I was so broke and I was so determined. My definition was I, I wanted to make a living for myself, support myself by mm-hmm. doing something creative. So okay. that was my criteria. And I didn't know what that was. You know, it started out where I was going to try to teach and that just didn't, really wasn't working for me and I worked in a children's museum and that was really fun but that wasn't really going to pay and you know I didn't want to be in a retail store selling even if I loved the product Mm -hmm. it just kind of fed on itself and through this Papagallo wholesale thing which you know day at a time I was coming back from New York fabric trip with my backpack you know, yep. stuff was stuff from the fabric market, you know, just pounding the pavement in the fabric market. So at this point, were you making everything yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then I got a factory in Fall River to start to sew for me. And I was literally 25 years old, I think. In 19- That's amazing. 26 years old, I incorporated. Okay. I, my first, my, what happened is I was on at the airport. We plane was delayed and some, I met this woman who, whose family made shirts. Mm-hmm. She said, you should really try to sell to Talbots. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how? So, you know, I, I finally get a meeting. I meet, I get this, I get a little buy. And then, you know, we kind of, it was like 50 pieces. And then I had the factory make the 50 pieces. And at this point, it was really Sarah Campbell for Talbots, you know, Sarah Campbell in mm-hmm. Talbots. And this is 1980. Five, six, and I had to incorporate then. Sarah Campbell Limited was born. And then my mother, who was a travel agent, was ended up on the airplane on the way to China. And so like a year had passed now. Okay. And her daughter, her daughter-in-law was, daughter, daughter, yeah, daughter-in-law was the dress buyer at Talbot's. But I hadn't met her yet. Cause I, it was, uh-huh. it was slow. Yeah. So I finally meet, I get another appointment and it's with Laura Finnegan and Laura, <laughs> Laura Finnegan just loved our stuff. She loved, we we're still very dear friends. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and we just clicked the product clicked. And that was when I started to sell to Talbots, but I was still selling 
through reps, you know, I got reps to sell to other specialty stores. So all the way in this, my entire career up to last October, I sold to specialty stores under my label. Okay. And it just grew. I mean, then as, as the specialty store thing was happening, I continued to grow private label and it got to 20 million. I mean, we had Talbots, we had Laura Ashley, we had LL Bean. That's we had, amazing. We had, but it was, I still kept the ropes really tight. I mean, I've always okay. been a designer and I'm very good with the budget. I just have to say that. But in the meantime of all these transitions, I also have had a lot of, you know, some pretty serious dark holes. One of which was in 1999, you know, I was finally making money and um, I had, you know, been working now at this for about 1985, 15 years. So I've been working okay. really hard at this. And in nine, about 10 years after I started, I started to make some money and I bought a house in Dorchester for $179,000. It was like a dollhouse. I loved that house. And um, fast forward to 99, I had, we were doing really well. And my brother-in-law was at the time, he had just, he had divorced my sister, but uh, he was still my controller. Um, We came upon a very large embezzlement and we were wiped out, literally. Oh my gosh. And he had to go to jail and that took three years of my life. It took me Two years to get an indictment, two years to get a, it's like six years, I think, before he went to jail. Wow. And so this is my niece's father, my sister's uh-huh. husband. So we, we muddled through that. We had every penny we had. I hated to borrow money, so I kept reinvesting our money into the business, and then I'd pay uh-huh. myself back because I was able to do that at that time. I had, had gotten married in 93, and I had a baby in 94, and a baby in 95. So, um, wait, sorry, something like that. Can't remember. And I had, you know, when this happened, I had babies at home and three and a four year old. And, um, we, we found our way out of that. And then 2008, as you know, was a very big year. Yeah. And that was the year we shipped our last order to Talbot's. We went okay. from the we went in, in other private labels. We went from like a $20 million business to a $2 million business. And it was all specialty stores and we had to reinvent. And, okay. And that was, we reinvented by, we started a little store in my office where it had windows and we decided that would be a storefront. And we started this thing called Winter Whimsy at Christmas. And we started plugging away at retail. And now you have to know this is very important because we used to give, well, I still do, but we, we had this, I had this philosophy. I always get back a minimum of 10% of my proceeds. And I was very, very close to St. Jude's hospital. We built a hospital. We built a a room there for them because my grandmother loved St. Jude and he was desperate cases. And I was always desperate. And in the middle of this embezzlement, I still owed them $125,000 to finish this project. Oh my gosh. But we finished it. I paid it off at the end, and it's a it's a little art room on the second floor, kind of devoted. Oh, that's to, so amazing! Yeah, devoted to Carita, and um, so when this embezzlement happened, all my charity checks were not mailed that year, and they didn't get their checks. And I'm like, I gotta still give to these places, like the you know the local homeless shelter, the local this, the local mm-hmm. that. 
that was 19, uh, no, that was, let me think about this, 1990, well, 2000. So after the embezzlement that we had to come up with ways to give. And so that's when we started doing these little studio parties and for charities in our office. And, okay. you know, and we'd have like, and, and they just were really fun. This is like the beginning of sipping shops because I had to give back, but I didn't have any money to give back. So I had to create an event to give back. And it's funny because now I feel like so many people oh, do. Now you know, there's that charitable aspect to their business, but it sounds like you were way ahead of time well, with that. Well, I was really committed and I just knew that I had to, you know, it was kind of like my tithing. I knew I had to do it. It wasn't a question. How am I going to do it? Okay, 10%. And then I got them to get their people to come and shop. And, you know, we'd make stuff like dog beds and we had clothes and we had, you know, all kinds of stuff we'd make out of mm-hmm. little, little fabric. And it just really worked. And that was the that was the beginning of my little retail experiment. And, and then in 2008, when the second collapse came, another dark hole. And I, you know, oh, t- and my whole model through all this bad stuff was never, never give up. You know, you just yep. got to know in your gut when it's time to give up and you mm-hmm. got to know when it's not. And I, you know, I'm kind of going through it right now. Like, well, but I'm not feeling the gut yet. Um, yep. So 2008 came and we got involved in some in, in poor investor relations and it ended up in a lawsuit and that ended up in her, in the person suing me. And then I really got wiped out because we had to sell our backyard and it was just a mess. And I, anyway, and I hadn't taken a paycheck in two years and my husband has a small business and it's just like, ah, I mean, I think I had, the kids were going off to private. It was just really bad. It was a lot. It's really bad. And we started our first, I went, (laughs) my first store, retail store was in Wellesley, Mass., I think it's 2009, May of 2009. And I went to the, the realtor and I said, look, if you let me have this space for a couple of weeks, I will give 10% of my proceeds to St. Jude's and you will mm-hmm. have a space that's not empty and we'll just play it by ear. Um, a good uh, so that's really what happened. We started in Wellesley and we, we man, you know, we had product in there from wholesale that we pulled because I was still doing wholesale and, mm-hmm. you know, at, at stores across the country. And, um, my Wellesley customer was just like, you can't leave. And I'm like, I can't afford to stay. And we just kept working with the realtor and I'm still in the space today it where it's, it wasn't my ideal location because I'm more neighborhood driven, but this is in like where near the grocery store is in Wellesley. Okay. And, um, that was our first footprint for retail. And I just loved being more in contact with the customer. And yeah, you were directly I in really contact loved with them. I could the events, and I could set up the merchandise the way I wanted to rather than walking into a store in Nantucket and seeing it cramped in the corner with, you know, just other stuff jam next to it and yeah and now you have over 20 stores right 24 I think we closed a couple but we'll be at 25 when we open Atlanta which will oh my gosh that's amazing 
but um, and we're all made in USA. I'm very, very proud of that. Although right now, mm-hmm. kind of a detriment. I, I there's never been a motivation tax wise to be made in the USA ever. I fought hard for that, but I've gotten nowhere. Um, but I love the idea of creating jobs locally. I used to have in the high days of my, of my production, we would, we were had, had 20 factories producing our product in fall river mass. That whole industry in fall river has collapsed Okay. Um, now we have, you know, like three in Boston and three or five in, in New York. But now with this virus, I don't know when the factories are going to be back up. I don't know when I can get back to stitching and when, when will I have product to deliver to my stores because it's, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're yep. dead. It's hard right now for sure. We're so dead. if someone hasn't heard of Sarah Campbell, the brand, how would you describe it? Uh, I would just, um, classic, uh, very classic with a modern touch, uh, ageless, timeless, Mm -hmm. um, feminine, Mm -hmm. um, all of our fabrics are imported. I would like to say there's a grace to our products, but there's also a sense of humor, you know, like there's a bow in the back of the, you know, little, it's, it's very detailed concentrate yeah it definitely is whether there's buttons or a bow or a little trim inside the collar I love that stuff that's the stuff like a little out of the box yeah Um, it's um, so great I have no desire I like to keep my hands on the quality you know a little bit of too much micromanaging I'm 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 guilty of Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't you know as I said I don't know what tomorrow brings we but I'm feeling confident that Wherever I'm supposed to go next, I'll go. Just let me know. Um, yeah. I love my team of people. It's it's so, you know, right now we're 98% laid off. That I've never had okay. to do that in the course of my business. I've never had, I've never not paid my rent. And this is, you know, gut-wrenching. Except that I feel like this isn't because of my lack of responsibility. This isn't anything I did. I didn't yeah, get me here by myself. Even through the embezzlement, I felt like that wasn't my fault either because we had all the, the banks screwed up and a lot of things happened. But this one is like, I'm going to come out with a law and you, my partners, my partner, whether it's the bank or my realtor, you're going to have to share in the loss too. You don't get to be made whole while I take all the heat. That's just not mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. So who would be your dream celebrity um, or royal or any, who's the dream girl to wear Sarah Campbell? It could be someone that's, you know, already passed, or it could be someone that's still alive today. Who would be your dream person? Dream girl. I thought hard about this. Um, (laughs) Oh, well, uh, I love Caroline Herrera. (laughs) I mean, Caroline Herrera would be she's so glamorous amazing. and elegant. Yes. Yeah. Amazing, elegant. Jackie Kennedy would be okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, those are two pretty pretty good um standouts. Um today maybe I would I would nominate Jill Biden to wear my clothes today. Okay. Um yeah, I mean, 
Any celebrities or like actresses today? No, it's funny um, because I I feel like I'm not in that glamour s mood of you even using influencers or mm-hmm. um, you know Reese Witherspoon. I mean, yes, I take her in a heartbeat. I think she's a dork. It's so funny. Everyone that I ask that question to, everyone says <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> That she was so good in that show, you know, with the coming around the corners of the cliff and the music going, and yeah, she. I think she's just like she's just a, a modern icon. She's just a modern bubble of energy, and yeah, and she's a great businesswoman too, with all of her businesses. I think we're gonna people are gonna look back at her kind of like they do with Grace Kelly. Yes, I mean, you know, years I, from now, that's so, how they're gonna. So, I mean, Grace Kelly, absolutely. But I just, yeah. I just love, um, I, I, I love, I, I just love her personality. I love mm-hmm. everything about her, and she's just, um, who's the other one I love? Um, she's married to Ke- uh, Kelly. Um, oh my God, Kelly! Wait, wait, wait. He's the writer for, um, is it Steve Kelly? Um, Wait, ah, I'll think of her name. She's absolutely. <laughs> It'll awesome. come to you. Um, so- he did L.A. Law. He, he wrote L.A. Oh. Law. Um, I'm not familiar. Okay. Before- It'll come to you. And yeah. then when you think of it, just just yell it out. Okay. Um, so what's your design process like? Like, where are you getting inspiration for each collection or each piece? Uh, you know, I really, my, unfortunately, I'm not like one of those fancy designers who goes off to Marrakesh and comes back with a Marrakesh collection. <laughs> I, you know, I read about it. I see it like, oh, I was just, I, I was just in Santorini and now I'm going to have a blue and white collection. You know, I mean, I did go to Santorini and it was ex- incredibly yeah. beautiful and it's all white. Like I can't come back and have an all white collection. Mm-hmm. Um, fabrics is where I really start because, okay. because. I have limited quantity. I, I produce everything in a limited edition, like maybe more, not more than 150 of something. And that's high. Yeah. That's high. Remember now we don't, we don't, we no longer produce wholesale. So we only produce for our stores and e-commerce. So I look at fabrics and then I just start pool. I make a story and I'll make, you know, a story a month and I'll just make little puddles, like little quilts on the floor in my office. Mm-hmm. And, um, interesting, like when I work for companies like a corporate, you know, as a vendor, they all start with the base cloth. Like what, what what's their bread and butter? What are they going to, you know, how many pants are they going to buy? What's the base fabric? I start with novelty and then I, okay. I build my base around it because novelty is what excites me. It's my passion. It's what makes our collection interesting. And then yep. comes the bread and butter, the solid little dresses with a, with a twist. Um, I love that. So the fabrics, and then I have fabric minimums too. And that really, that really affects the price. Like, you know, so many times I can't buy over 300 yards. So my price of the fabric goes up 30%. Well, that's mm. where my fabrics are becoming $27 a yard. I mean, I have the same vendors as Lila Rose has and our prices yep. are so different. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's, 
it's, it's it, the fabric getting the materials at a smaller quantity is really a struggle because you always get a surcharge or now, you know, nothing's made in the USA anymore. There's no fabric. There's no buttons. When I first started, mm-hmm. there were buttons and things that were vendors down the street that made, made dyed to match buttons all day long. It's changed for sure. That was the minimum of a thousand. Well, if I only need, you know, 150, I'm going to be stuck with 850 red 18 line buttons. So, but so the fabric is really what inspires you in the jumping off point. So what, going off of that, maybe what's your favorite piece in your collection right now or on your website? Well, I have a piece that um, we always do a modification on and it started with Dolce Cabana and then it went to Nicole Miller, but it was this whole week. It was when it came about when fabrics had stretch started having stretch okay. and I call it the magic dress and it has those little tucks or shearing that cut across your belly and just kind of suck you in like Spanx. Okay. And, um, so that always has a home in our collection Right now, actually, uh, there's one, we call it the Hoda dress with a sleeve. It's got a little cap sleeve. It's got a, like a Jackie O kind of neck, you know, rollover collar. And yeah. It's stretch linen, and it has little um, tucks down the middle of the dress. That's always a, 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 a game buster winner because it, it just, you know, it's a flattering on everybody. Mm-hmm. It's cotton. Um, and it's elegant and timeless. Yeah, you can wear it to, in navy blue. You wear it to a wedding with spectators, you know, and a navy blue and white polka dot Georgette wrap. Or you wear it to work with, you know, black pumps and a blazer. I mean, that's that's the kind of crossover I like to do, have. Right now, we're at a bit of a standstill because there will be no events. And I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, yeah. I also have, you know, the very best performing item, which is just, you know, over and over. I never thought I would, I would be here is this pant called the Sherry pant. It's just pull on no side zip, amazing elastic fab, you know, stretchy fabric has a little slit up the back of the ankle, mm-hmm. like a one and a half inch slit. And Ooh. it's just comes in a ton of colors. It comes with fringe. It comes with, I always try to do different versions of it. It comes with a little ruffle up the back. It comes with. Those sound amazing. Powder. I need a pair of them. <laughs> all color, you know, they're just, they're uh, 168 to a hundred, depending on what the embellishment is. We have them at holiday. We have them in, you know, it's just a pant that's just easy to fit. It's, but it's, it's the kind of pant that you're not going to wear a short sweater with unless you're like, you know, a size zero or two. Yeah. But so it, you need, you need to have your, your you need like a tunic with it. Yeah. Thing. A tunic or, or, you know, even a shorter blouse that, that kind yeah. of to the top of your legs works. Which actually I bought a tunic from you years ago and I still live in it today. I oh, love it. Patricia. That's so it's cute. white and it has little like tassely trim at the bottom. Um, it's just so great and goes with everything oh, and good. it's timeless, yep. you know? Yep. <laughs> I love the Okay. So what are some hobbies that you do when we, when you're not designing, working on your business, what's something that we can find you doing? Well, you know, it's funny because I have not watched one movie since this whole thing has happened. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why? I just, I'm so like, you know, overwhelmed with problem solving. Yeah. Um, but I've taken up knitting Oh. and I have this year, I'm only making hats. 
Um, I, I love hand knit sweaters. I love, we create sweaters overseas, which is the only place I can do it rather than Italy. I, I don't, I, I don't have the wear, the bandwidth to go to Guatemala or, you know, I don't know how to make that happen. Um, mm-hmm. Our cashmere is all, but what's, what it's forced me to learn, which I totally love is all the different patterns and stitches you can make with your knitting needles. So I learned quite a bit about, you know, knitting and purling, but like four knits and three purls equals a different pattern than, so I'm just getting started. I started in November. I probably made eight hats so far. What I've also loved about knitting, which I look at and I like, it's really the psychology of making mistakes. I, I have this conversation with myself every time I have a mistake in the hat. I'm like, okay, are you going to rip it out and go back all the way to fix that mistake? Are you going to, are you, and it depends how far back it is. Uh-huh. Are you going to accept it and learn from that mistake? Are you going to yeah. love that mistake? And so every hat, I can see every mistake I made. And I'm thinking of these are going to be Christmas presents next year, but I'm like, I don't know if they're going to love my mistakes as much as I love my mistakes. <laughs> I love that. That's like, I started needle pointing last night. I've had the yeah. canvas for probably since September last year. And I finally picked it up last night. But yeah, I messed up a few times. And I'm like, oh, I could either just like pretend it's not there and keep going. Well, I also started, which was really weird. I just invited the couple people like, yeah, but I want to have a knitting group. And they're like, well, I'll do needle point. So there's like eight, six of us. And we haven't gotten together even on Zoom since this all happened. But yeah, that's was, so fun. I've heard of people moms. doing We're all moms who we raised our kids together. Now it's like so fun to sit in the living room knit together and mm-hmm. wine and just like catch up yep um and it's been years since we've been able to do that so that's that's one big hobby my other big big hobby is the you know the garden I love I love flowers I love okay. I love I'm not I, I I probably the best thing I'm at doing in the garden is is weeding yeah <laughs> and I hate digging holes but I love planting and I love the containers and I love doing all that but it's expensive too it is yeah <laughs> flowers and all the pots they definitely are and I hate to cook, so we're good at- you don't like cooking no I used to have a catering business and when I was doing my own you know sewing school and um I did it with my brother and we do all my dad's and the doctor's cocktail parties and I don't know. I got, I got too heavily into the food thing and it's just like, you know what? I just, I need to just stay away from like, I need to yeah. with the food. <laughs> That's so funny. All right. What's your dream vacation? Like if you, once this is all over, where do you want to go? Well, we're my dream vacation. It always includes my kids and then usually includes the boyfriend. So we did, <laughs> we did um, I was through, oh, I I would love, I want, I was reading today about blue and white vacations and I love blue and white and like, where is the most blue and white patterns? Is it Italy? Is it Spain? Sarah, I think Um, I lost you. I've been to Santorini, which was melted me. I love Santorini. I would go back there in a heartbeat, but then I haven't seen so many other things in, in the world. I would... Um, Portugal I think I would go to Portugal or Spain would be my next step in the right direction and I I, I've also learned that you know I'm best if I just kind of plant myself and then we all kind of go have a home base and then go explore from the home base as opposed to Mm -hmm. 
having to go and see the whole the whole work country in three days. You know, I, I yeah. love just planting. Yeah, you'd um, rather make it relaxing. And yeah, and I, I I would love to go back to Italy and you know go back to the the fabric and and I would love to do Italian baskets for for handbags. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of that's you know the artisans where it all started. I would love to do that. I love shoes. I would love to carry shoes in my stores. Like I love Loeffler. Um, but yeah, those are know. great. I don't know. Um, so what advice would you give to another aspiring designer or maybe just an entrepreneur in general? What's one, one piece of advice? Um, you have to put inscribe this on your, on your wrist. There's two things. Yeah. You won't be doing this unless you have passion. Mm-hmm. So given that you have passion, you cannot give up. You can't let people talk you out of your dream if it's your dream because you will make yep. it happen. I had bankers. I've had bankruptcy attorneys. When I first started, I couldn't get a bank loan. You know, you just, you got to be hard. You've got to be ready to hear, no, you can't do this. No, mm-hmm. that's stupid. And it might be, there might be some information in there that you take and apply it to how you actually end up doing it. You know, th- those are words for your vocabulary to make a sentence that it's your sentence and listen to people, but, but then use what you can and use what you yep. want to. And I think the other side of that is that just, it's so important to, to listen to your gut and go tenacious if that's what your gut is telling you. Like, you know, you know, you know, when you're in a bad relationship, you may not, you may not want to own it. Acknowledge it. Yeah. yeah. You know, inside of yourself when enough is enough. And, and mm-hmm. when it is enough, then you got to be open to the next thing. And I think the hardest thing to do through this whole thing of life is to be open. And I can't tell you how much I drag my feet on going e-commerce you got, I can't tell you how. And we, I remember that. Yeah. We, it was, it, it's, we did, we were, I just, I committed to it that we'd go, we'd go live in August and we started, I gave money to the designer and all that stuff. And then this happened and we just had, did a, like a fire, fireside, you know, bing bong eight days. We're doing a pop-up boutique e-commerce and mm-hmm. it's, it's bringing in revenue and I'm so excited by it. I can't stand it. And we're now working on the bigger platform to open as a full on, you know, that connects with Instagram and all that stuff. I've yep. learned so much, but I, if this crisis hadn't happened, I would still be scared to death. And I'm so scared of not being able to deliver a customer experience. And I'm okay. so scared about the returns and so scared about just so many things. And I like, I couldn't get my hat, wrap my head around it. And I was just thrown into the fire and here we are. And okay. I, hey, I can do e-commerce. <laughs> you have to be flexible and willing to roll with the punches a little gotta bit. Be able, you gotta just the same thing over and over. How many times have I fallen on my face? Just get back up. Mm-hmm. Just get back I love up. that. And it's, that's a really good, and it's just, we're all going to fall on our face and we're all going to have a decision. And, you know, one of the things I want to take back to my, my team at work right now, when we get back in together is you guys, it, for this boat to keep sailing, it's going to take all of us paddling in the same direction as hard and as efficiently as we can. And if this is just a job for you, I get that, but 
you have if you don't have passion and this isn't your career just save your energy and go find that because mm-hmm. I can't subsidize you while you're just, you know, I'm, I'm not a paycheck. Yeah. I need no, help and soul in this thing or where we won't survive. Yep. All right. So last question. Um, what does preppy mean to you? Preppy means to me, <laughs> um, very uh, mainstream, very functional, very cute. Um, As I said, I grew up in California, but what I forgot to tell you is I went to summer camp in Michigan every year. And that was the quintessential location of Preppy because everybody came from Chicago and St. Louis, Missouri. And if you don't know Preppy, they wore Abercrombie and Fitch shoes with the little fringe. Everyone had initial necklaces and bracelets and Peter Pan collars and villager. Oh my God. Villager was my biggest inspiration and Liberty Prince and, and preppy. That's what preppy is to me. The shirt waist and the, the Papagallo little bag, you know, with the buttons on and off. And I grew up sewing. That's who I was, you know, preppy, preppy. What does preppy mean now? There's still elements. I just, they're ladylike. You know, they're, uh-huh. they're, they're little Classic ladylike. ladylike. Yeah, without being too pink and green. Yeah. You know, no, I love that. That's green. that's a great answer. Um, so then finally, where can people find you? Um, where can people find you on Instagram? What's your website? So um, website is www.sarahcampbell.com. S-A-R-A. Campbell, just like the soup. Campbell. <laughs> Um, and so that will lead you to Instagram and Facebook. Um, as I said, we have a, a pop-up boutique e-commerce site right now that just happened, um, which will host starting to put sale up from January will host and resort. And, um, our, our April and May delivery is literally under the needles in the fabric, in the factories that closed. Whoa. Um, sorry. You're fine. Um, Sorry, sorry. Um, and we have 24 stores. We have, you can see the locations, Nantucket, um, Alexandria, Virginia, Charleston, um, very resort types, uh, Newport, Rhode Island, went, uh, five stores in Flor- Florida, Naples, Delray Beach, Venetian Village, which is a part of Naples, Sarasota, Winter Park. That's perfect. Um, so we have Florida, then we have Chicago, which is Winnetka and Lake Forest. Then we have um, Richmond, Virginia. So they can, but on your website, they, there's a list of all yeah, your stores, right? You know, yep. We're going to open back. We are going to open back. We're going to be there for our customers. We love our customers. We love her. We've been doing this since 35 years. <laughs> no, you'll be fine. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media.